Well, this morning we are coming to the really the second of our questions in this series that we're calling Ask. It is, <laughs> as somebody said last week, these are user-generated questions. Questions we ask people, what, what are your questions? Would you ask your friends what their questions are? And then would you let us know? And you did, and so we have a series of questions that we're trying to answer from the Scriptures in hopes that you'll be able to read the newspaper and uh, see it through the lens of the Gospel and understand from a Christian point of view how to make the world work. So, the, the second question we're coming to today is really, how do I navigate this polarized world? And it is remarkable, really, how... How kind the news is to preachers, I suppose, you might say. I mean, just this week, of course, not only did our president use words that I can't use from the pulpit to describe other countries, which certainly lit off a firestorm of criticism, but there was a book published about his presidency called The Fire and Fury. I think that the, I, I hadn't seen the book, but the the very first reaction to it that I read said, "This book won't change anything." Oh, that's interesting. I kept reading, and it said, "If you are pro-Trump, then this is just another volley from the liberal left. If you're anti-Trump, this isn't going to change your mind." But that's the, I mean, that's really how our world is. People are already lined up, right? People aren't listening to what other people say. They're already lined up and they've decided what they think is their right and everybody else is wrong. And so there is a polarization that has taken place and there's almost no way to cross a bridge to the other side. When we're talking about polarization, this is really what we're talking about. Division into two sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. Vocabulary.com said, when people become divided into contrasting groups outside of science, polarization usually refers to how people think, especially when two views emerge that drive people apart Kind of like opposing magnets. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember back to your grade school science classes. Like one of my favorite things was to try and get the two um, matching poles of a magnet together, and they just you just couldn't get them all the way there, and they would vibrate like this in your hands. And you think, well, how does that happen? There's nothing in between there. That's really the way that it feels in our world, where the two sides can never get together. There's something in the middle that's keeping them apart. And yet it seems to be invisible. And so how, as God's people in this world, can we navigate a world that's polarized in so many ways? It isn't just, it isn't just polarized with regard to politics like I started off talking about. It's really polarized around race. It's polarized around economics. It's polarized 
uh, around immigration. It's polarized around all sorts of issues. And we have, to, we have to come into a world like that and interact with people who have already made their minds up about issues. Some of the time, they won't even allow you or me to have a voice because they've already decided what we would say. And so, how do you interact with a world like that? How do you navigate a world that's already polarized before you even enter the conversation? What I, what I want to do this morning in order to, to try and help answer that question and move us forward is to remind you of the story of God, the, the Gospel, the good news that we believe as Christians. And this good news, I hope, will have two functions. Uh, the first function is I hope that it is explanatory in nature and helps you understand why we have the problems we have. The second thing that I hope that it does for you is I hope that it helps you then to understand who you are and how you interact with other people. So that there is both an explanation and a, a motivation for you to engage your world in a way that makes a difference. And so we'll begin at the very beginning, of course, with creation. This uh, movement of God's story, as you may recall, I, I've, I used this outline before, uh, has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Moving from the beginning of time to the end of time and the sweep of history in the middle. And this is what God is doing in the world. And so we believe initially that God created the world uh, perfect. That He made it how He wanted it to be. He made it so that all of His creation was perfect and in harmony. And one of the things that we find here, the, the, the very last description of uh, creation before sin enters the world is this. In Genesis 2.25 says, "...the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." They were naked and they were not ashamed. Both... Uh, well, let, let me say it this way. All of the human beings in the world... How's that? <laughs> ...were naked and unashamed. There were, and I think there are two reasons for this in the, the original creation. The first is that they were right with God. God had, God had made them. God had given them uh, the, the garden. God had given them all that they need. God had most importantly given them Himself. And they were in perfect communion with God so that there was, there was, no, um, there was no sin. There was nothing between them and God. So being right with God, then they were also right with one another. So that they were at peace between people. So both vertically and horizontally, uh, the world was at peace. And then we have the second movement in this story, which happens very quickly in the, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they they decide to exercise their own uh, their own dominion, their own freedom from God, and they they do what they want instead of what God asked them to do, and uh, they follow 
um, serpent into sin. And this is the, this is the curse. Okay? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. This is the, the, the curse on the serpent. Between the, the offspring of the woman and or the offspring of you and the offspring of the woman, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, we see here the, 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 the germ or the very first uh, seed of the good news that there's going to be the seed of the woman who will ultimately um, crush the seed of the serpent. But the thing I want you to notice here, even before you get to the, the last half of this verse, is that the, the curse is enmity. And enmity is like the perfect word for the polarization. It's like the perfect Bible word for it. Okay, it simply means hostility or they have become enemies. That's the, the, kind of the root of it. There is this attitude between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And so there is enmity uh, immediately in the, the, the book of Genesis, in the history of human beings, so that then from then on we see these two lines diverge. We see um, Cain and Abel. Okay, we see uh, Jacob and Esau. We see all of these uh, various people in the book of Genesis, one the seed of the woman, one of the seed of the serpent, and they're at odds all the time. Which reminds us very much of the kind of situation we have in our world today. It's part of the curse on sin. Genesis 11 is even uh, expounds this more. We have uh, what we typically refer to as the Tower of Babel. And the, the people after the flood said, let us come together, uh, make ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, that's an issue because God had said, um, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And they said, let's not fill the earth. Let's do our own thing. And so what, what God did is God said, let's go down and confuse our language so that they may not understand one another's speech so that the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And He built in languages and and, uh, uh, eventually races so that there was uh, division. And God used this polarization, you might say, to frustrate their anti-God activity. This activity that they had that was in direct rebellion to what God had told them. And so part of the human condition once, once sin entered is that they have decided, um, well, that God has decided that people decided they are going to be against one another. So, so the breakdown of the vertical relationship with God, with sin, resulted in the breakdown of the horizontal relationship with people. And then, through this seed of the woman, this offspring of the woman, uh, God brought about redemption so that He would begin to reverse what uh, the fall brought about. So that He would begin to restore what was broken. So He began to heal 
what was sick in human beings. And we find that this is, uh, this is at the very heart of the Gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says all of this is from God. Uh, all of this meaning all that Jesus is doing in the world says God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God gave Jesus so that we might be reconciled to God. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. God is in the business of repairing this vertical relationship and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It is our ministry, our opportunity to speak to people about how to be reconciled with God so that the horizontal relationships then can be repaired. That is, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. So this, um, this good news that God in Christ is reconciling the world to Himself is fixing the fundamental problem of human beings so that then the secondary problems can also be resolved. And that's how it explains it in Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about Christ again and it says, He Himself is our peace. Jesus Christ, this Redeemer, this Messiah, this One that God has sent to reconcile us to Himself, is also, He Himself is our peace. And He has made both one. Both, in this, in this case, Jews and Gentiles. Those on the opposite sides of the ethnic divide of the racial divide, of the polarized divide. He has made the two one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what Jesus is doing is not only reconciling people to God, but reconciling people to one another. People who have a long history of being polarized against one another by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so part of the ministry of Christ then is to, is to create a church of every tribe and language and tongue and nation so that this church then reflects a unity that transcends what people are able to do outside of being reconciled to God through Christ. And so in this church, what God is doing is He is creating a people for Himself that live at peace with one another in a way that is contrary to the world outside. And so in redeeming individuals and reconciling them to God, He is also reconciling them to one another. And so, He makes peace. That's part of the good news of Jesus Christ. Part of why it's important for you and for me to welcome the stranger. To love people who are not like us. For us to um, be concerned about those who don't have what you have. Who don't enjoy the privileges that you enjoy. Who face headwinds when you have tailwinds. Because Jesus has done for us what He has made. Uh, he has made us right with God and therefore given us this ministry of reconciliation to reach out to people 
and bring them in. And then here, it's a, I mean, the, the last verse here says, He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The hostility, if you have a different translation, is the same word that was part of the curse, enmity. So what Jesus has done is Jesus has um, reconciled people to God and killed the enmity. Killed the hostility of people against one another. Then we find this last movement of God's story ends where it began. It ends where it should end. It ends where you and I want it to end. Rather than fighting with people, rather than being at odds and always unable to make it together, we end up with people from all walks of life, all ethnic groups, all languages together. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. All the divisions are gone. All of the uh, tension is gone. All the marches are gone. All the graffiti is gone. All of the slurs. All of the hatred has gone. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes. So made right with God. Cleansed. Made right with God. With palm branches in their hand. Okay, peace between people. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So everyone is unified here praising God because they've been made right with God and right with one another because they've been redeemed by Christ. The effects of the fall are reversed so that we are restored to proper relationship with God and with others. That's how the story ends. And so our great hope is that one day God will make all of, all of these wrongs right. All of the racism, all of the division, all of the anger is gone. We stand before God at peace with Him and at peace with one another. That is, that is what Jesus is doing in the world. And He's doing it even now. And that's that's the arc of history from beginning to end that God is doing in this world with respect to this polarization. Which is all wonderful, right? It's it's all great to say in the Garden of Eden everything was wonderful. And it's just fine to say at the end of time it will all be wonderful. But guess what? I'm not there and I'm not here. I'm right here in the middle. What am I going to do now? How does the Gospel speak to me now? So that when I leave this, the, the, the safety of this building and the safety of these people and I go out into a world and, and I hear news and I interact with people who yell at me, what do I do? So it seems to me that the, the Scripture is full of uh, 
really gospel-saturated um, instruction and advice that, that informs us how as followers of Jesus we interact with this world. And it, it strikes me that the very first thing to, to, to think about, the very first thing that will make a change is if you listen to people. It's one of the reasons that these polls never meet is because nobody listens. But if you were the person that listens, if I was the person that would listen and seek to understand, all of a sudden, there would be a change in the equation. And so how I navigate a polarized world has first, I think, uh, to do with how I listen. This is what it says in Proverbs. Good sense. Just right there already, right? We have a big change from what we are used to in the news. Good sense. I haven't read any farther. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is His glory to overlook an offense. So to the degree that that maybe the polarization is interpersonal, to the degree that it, or it has become personal to you, if you can overlook it, it's to your, to your glory. It is a... Um, a plus for you to overlook the offense and a signal that you have good sense if you're slow to anger. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone... Okay, it's almost like he anticipates our day, isn't it? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we would do this, we would be different than the people around us for sure. This is the brother of our Lord saying, "This is how you navigate. Um, this is how you navigate a polarized world. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger." Philippians chapter two: Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So the very, first, the very first place that I start from, this is my starting point, is to consider your opinion is important. To consider you as a human being with a different opinion than mine to be important. Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that whether I'm thinking about things that are economic, I'm thinking about things that are political, I'm thinking about all the things that divide people, I'm thinking of their interest, the equation changes instead of thinking of my own. How beautiful it would be to unleash a group of people like just even of this size on the world that would do this. Everyone looking out for someone else's interest rather than their own. Everyone considering other people to be more important than themselves. Everyone being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What a difference that would make in this world. Really, that would just be a great place to start. And so, be quick to hear. And then... The next, the next thing is that that doesn't mean be silent. 
It doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you must withhold your voice from the conversation. But the Scripture does inform what you say and how you say it. I, I, I was reading my quiet time this week in Matthew chapter 10, and I was struck by the words of Jesus as He sent His disciples out He's into a polarized situation. They will deliver you over. They're going to arrest you. They're going to slander you. They're going to say all kinds of bad things about you. And Jesus says this, don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. Two things there. The, the content and the delivery. The, the what you're going to say and the how you are going to say it. For what you'll say will be given to you in that hour. And then here is part of the Gospel. That the Spirit your Father is giving you is going to help you speak. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So part of the Gospel, and we're going to really talk about this quite a lot, and when we get back to Romans, in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit will help you navigate this world. And specifically, with how you are to speak about things that are controversial and when you are in a polarized situation. And so, what are you to say? Are you to shade what you really think? Are you to like soft pedal it and pretend that you don't really think that? I mean, Ephesians 4.15 simply says, speaking the truth in love. They're both, both the what and the how. Speak the truth. You don't need to say uh, something other than what you believe. Something other than what is true. You don't need to lie to keep the peace. But rather, you speak it in the way in which you speak it is in love. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ and into um, Him who is the head, into Christ. Or Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. So we're invited to have a truthful conversation that is loving and gracious and is seasoned with salt. It has, it has in it what is true. It has in it what preserves and what protects and what is useful. And so if you have a conviction about what the Scripture says, you have conviction about the way the world works, then you can speak it. And you can say it. But you can't, you can't just say it any old way you want. And you can't yell back, necessarily. Okay? And so we're invited, we're invited to speak. And to speak about um, the Gospel. And to speak about uh, what is true. And speak about the way that we see reality. And, and the way that we view the world. In fact, it's a loving thing to do to help people see things in a different way. Okay? Once you listen, you speak the truth and you speak it with grace. And then there's a ton in the Scripture and already I can hardly even have verses to say what to say. I mean, I'm not going to say all the content of things you ought to say, but just to speak the truth. But there's a ton in the Scripture about how you ought to say that truth. Say it with love. Say it with grace. But uh, this one will 
this one will solve so many problems in families and marriages and classrooms, workplaces. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You can polarize things. Okay? You have that opportunity. Or you can, you can settle the polarization down. And it has to do with how you answer. See, it isn't no answer turns away wrath. But it's really a soft answer turns away wrath. So it's how you say what you say. Again, in James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So there's another attitude word. Meekness. So that we're responding in a way that is humble and gentle. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, okay, that, that sounds... That sounds like what you hear on the news. That sounds like some sort of a fiery protest, doesn't it? Don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So Again, that is certainly in the realm of possibility you can react in a way that brings that about. But, the wisdom from above, the gift that God gives you in His Spirit from above so that you can interact with people is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So part of being a spiritual person who has this wisdom from above enables you to react in a different way than everybody else. And so, it's no accident that God has placed you where He's placed you, that He has put us in this space and time as His people in... A world that is polarized. In a world that yells at each other. Because that's going to highlight the distinction between those who follow a different way and those who follow the status quo. Again, in the New Testament in 1 Peter, he encourages us with hope and with good news. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. People yell at you, you don't need to yell back. They treat you badly, you don't need to treat them badly back. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I mean, this is, this is really a paraphrase of the very words of Jesus who said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so when you, when you are faced with a situation where there's hostility or anger or reviling or enmity or hostility, 
And you take a little pause before you shout back. You have that moment. You can take a little pause and say, how can I bless this person? Again, what a, what a change. What a different kind of approach to the conversation. Don't expect that a different approach to the conversation is going to make the problem go away, though. Make people not be angry with you. Now, who is there that's going to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? I mean, he's just talking about how they still might. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. But have no fear of them or be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So here again, you have the what. Be prepared to make a defense. How? With gentleness and respect. One of the things that's really helpful in... um, polarized dialogue is for somebody who can with gentleness and respect express what they believe and why they believe it. What they hope in and why they hope in it. See, one of the things that makes this polarized is that nobody uh, nobody's able to express what they believe and why they believe it. It's just the way that it is. It's just because. It's just what I grew up with. It's just what everyone told me. And there's, there's no uh, help in understanding. Here, here Peter's giving us the, the hint that one of the, one of the keys to this is to make the argument. This is part of why the good news is good news. That's why I began with an explanation of the problem in hopes that part of your defense is I understand why it's this way. And why what God is doing to bring a solution here to this enmity between us and God, between us and other people. They might not want to hear that, but you do have a reasonable reason to hope. And do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, there still might be reviling. You'll still live in a polarized world. But the beauty of it, the beauty of it is, if you and if I follow Christ and our lives reflect the good work that He invites us to, People aren't going to be able to argue with that. They might not like your idea, but they'll like the the fruit of your life. That's that's the invitation here from Peter about how to engage with this world. How to live in a polarized world that reviles you. They might revile you, but they're going to have to admit that your life shows good fruit. And so, I, I just want to invite you to engage this world. And to engage it 
engage it a lot and engage it often and engage it actively and engage it verbally. Engage it with gentleness and respect. Engage it with good works. Engage it by listening. You see, and if those things mark the way that you interact with this world, that's what the ministry of reconciliation is. That's what God asks of you and me, His followers, about how to navigate a world that's polarized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do need You. We need Your Spirit to to keep us from being afraid. To help us know how we ought to speak and what we ought to say. To motivate and empower good works in this world. To give us the patience to listen to people who disagree. And Father, I ask that You would, in Your grace, enable Your people to represent Jesus in this world. Father, would You forgive us for being otherwise? Would You forgive those who claim the name of Jesus and act contrary? Would You forgive them? Father, we are just humbled by the love that You have shown us. The patience with which You have endured our failures. God, would You help us to esteem others more highly than ourselves, to listen and to love and to speak the truth. Well, thank You in the name of Jesus. Amen.